Hi, this is Cassius Felicella, and you're listening to Homeroom, a podcast dedicated to everything startup-related. My guest today is Andrew Delinsky. Andrew is the current CEO and co-founder of JetDocs, a request management platform designed for all aspects of business functions. He and his business partner, Alex, were part of the YC Winter Batch this year, and it's a pleasure to have them on. Andrew, thanks so much for coming on here. To start off, could you walk us through how JetDocs came to be and how you met your co-founder? Yeah, absolutely. So um, when I was at my previous startup, Clutch, uh, and there, you know, I, uh, I was, you know, I was working with quite a few teams there. I was a co-founder and COO at Clutch.ca, uh, which was Canada's first online used car dealership. And I was leading, um, you know, kind of like four different teams there. There was operations, sales, uh, credit, and car buying. And um, this is kind of where the inception of the idea for JetDocs came. While I was there, it was not, you know, this idea was not really apparent to me at all. But um, it was something that, you know, uh, about a year after I was, uh, I'd left from Clutch, um, it kind of dawned on me that the just internal request space had a lot of, um, you know, just things that had not been solved. There's a lot of technology, you know, out there for, you know, customer experience and, you know, the, um, I guess, how external companies, you know, react and deal with internal companies. However, when you started looking at the internal workflow space, um, a lot of it was actually focused on, um, you know, if something happens here in X, do this in Y. And, you know, there's like the Zapiers of the world and uh, Pipe Fives, et cetera. And a lot of them are very focused on, you know, these kind of multi-step uh, internal workflows. Um, and, you know, they're obviously great. There's a ton of efficiencies and productivity gains to be had there. Um, but what we really noticed was, um, and this came through a couple different iterations, both before Y Combinator, during Y Combinator, and up until today. Um, but kind of where we settled that is there's basically a, a huge gap in the market that um, doesn't have a really good front end portal to direct all employees to, to then carry out these workflows. And so we like to categorize things as business units. And so, you know, you can think of HR, finance and accounting, IT, you know, building facilities management as like, you know, obviously very structured departments or business functions. But then there's even things, you know, that are a lot less structured, for example, like committees dedicated to hybrid work and, you know, COVID protocols and, you know, what happens when an employee has a request about that. Currently, there's a lot of these, uh, you know, subdomain inboxes that have been set up, whether that's, you know, HR at company.com or finance at company.com. And a lot of these inboxes end up being, you know, black boxes where all of these, you know, basically requests are sent internally, and then they are then triaged or forwarded to the appropriate person. Now, there's also, you know, obviously uh, people in the IT world with um, IT service management, uh, like ITSM, uh, they're very familiar with, you know, help desks and service desks. And so there's a big blend of what we're doing in that IT realm, but we're bringing a lot of those protocols to the rest of organizations. Uh, and then in terms of how my co-founder and I met, uh, so his name's Alex Kovalev, uh, you know, great developer. Uh, he's been at Twitter, Top Hat Ritual. So a lot of uh, obviously large company like Twitter, but then other you know notable Canadian uh, unicorns. And we had actually met, um, I think it's probably about 11 or 12 years ago now, uh, but over 10 years ago in Italy on a high school exchange that we were both accepted to. Um, so it kind of uh, came full circle. You know, we kept in touch throughout the years. And then um, when I was actually... Uh, kind of in the ideation phase for JetDocs that I uh, reached out to him just to get his thoughts on a technical problem. 
and you know he expressed interest in the problem um and there was good timing um with himself and his professional career so he decided to kind of jump fully in and uh we kind of joined forces for jet Doc. i think finding the right business partner is probably the most important decision you'll ever make with that being said though are both of you guys pretty technical founders do you perhaps have any advice for people looking for co-founders at the moment yeah, for sure. I, I think the the first piece of advice that I can give is that, you know, when someone thinks of an idea and, you know, uh, especially if people want to create a software startup from a non-technical background, um, they're so pumped up about the idea. Like they're, they're, you know, ecstatic, they're over the moon about this idea and they just want to bring it into the world, which is like obviously a necessity, um, especially, you know, when that person becomes like the, the sales oriented founder who's pushing the idea. The, you know, YYC, um, you know, I don't speak for YC, but, um, you know, basically from what I've seen and, you know, my experience with other co-founders is the reason that that co-founder dynamic and relationship is so important is because, you know, you're going to hear multiple people say this, but the, the first idea is not likely not going to be the right one. The second iteration is likely not going to be the right one. The third one, hopefully is, you know, you're getting closer and it's it. But the, the big thing with startups is that it takes so much, you know, uh, learning and adapting to your customer base. Um, and, you know, that's the reason why people don't, you know, advocate for building in a black box or a vacuum is because, you know, until you get it into the real world, get, you know, uh, that real world feedback, um, that's what allows you to actually, you know, try and identify with the customer. Are you actually solving a real problem? You know, can you get more than just users? Can you actually get them to open up their wallets, whether that's, you know, a consumer application or a B2B application? Um, and, you know, a few different nuances there. Um, but that dynamic is so important because, if you're going to have someone who is going to give up after that first try, say, oh, we just tried for four months, for example, um, you know, I could have been making, you know, 175K elsewhere. I'm going to, you know, quick back of the envelope math, you know, it's really easy to be like, oh, did I just, you know, is my opportunity cost like, you know, did I just forfeit, you know, 40 grand or something like that? Um, and so people get into these weird mindsets where they're always thinking about, you know, the opportunity cost of elsewhere. But you know, I think David Zach says that he says, look, if you're going to go build it, like if you're going to go build a startup, just like burn the bridge and commit to making it work. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like the, the Navy SEAL mantra of just like, you know, all, just always find a way to win. And, and I do think that is, you know, very much a, it's a mindset um, at the end of the day, because I think startups is a lot of mental game. You know, there's tons of talented people out there, but bringing together a team that has, you know, those complementary skill sets that you're alluding to, both from like, you know, sales, product, someone's got to do all the administrative stuff um, that just takes up time. And then you have, you know, product, engineering, <laughs> et cetera. And so I think all of those end up becoming, you know, so incredibly important. Um, and so I guess um, from the perspective of Alex and I, so Alex is definitely very engineering heavy. Um, I do a lot of the product and product design work, you know, built up our website, but Alex built up like the entire application, um, which is obviously, you know, a lot more complicated. And so he kind of thinks it's deep there. And then I'm focused, uh, you know, additionally on like the, you know, sales, uh, admin stuff, et cetera. But um, together, I think we have, you know, very uh, complementary skill sets. And Alex brings, you know, a ton of, um, you know, brain knowledge from his previous startups for just best practices, et cetera, as you're building it an application that can scale. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. If, if we could actually return to a point that you just made there, you know, if the bridge is burned, just continue with the idea. I, I, I hope I heard that correctly. Like, I oh, think and, and sorry, I, I mean, um, when you're starting, like when you and your co-founder um, say, hey, you know what, like, because there was a very distinct point in my life where I went from the corporate world and along with my brother, we decided to build our first startup. 
<clears throat> and that's no longer the one that, you know, ended up, you know, netting us, you know, um, a ton of money or, but it, what it did is it, it netted us that binary experience of going all in um, on creating something. And, you know, we are, we are eating, you know, burritos every single day. I was living in his 400 square foot apartment, sleeping on the floor and couch. Like it was, you know, kind of like, a, you know, the one with funny traditional startup stories. Um, but when I say burn the bridge, I, I really mean just committing to making something work. That does not mean, you know, there, there's, and that's the hardest part about startups. You know, it's really, it's actually better if you have a really terrible idea, because then you can, you know, people are going to tell you right to your face, like, hey, this is a brutal idea. Um, and if you don't have enough conviction on it, then you're just going to walk away. Or it could actually just be a really terrible idea, but at least you know, and then you can move on to the next one. But the problem, and then if you have a really good idea on the other end of the spectrum, it's great. You know, you're going to grow, you're going to kind of go through that hyper growth mode. But then when you're in the middle of things, uh, that's where the real, uh, that's where the, the real difficulty comes in because you could be really close. You know, there's always that image I always think of. It's this, it's this little cartoon character of him, you know, with the axe tech and he's mining through and one picture he turns away and the next one is like, you know, you can see that there was like a pot of diamonds on the other side, just like one more hit. And so it's kind of like, you know, keep going because at some point, if you keep learning and adapting, you will get to something that works. But the most important thing without learning and adapting is continuing to talk to customers. And so by no means do you want to keep working on an idea that is clearly not going to work. But the only reason you're going to be stuck there is because you're probably not talking to customers. You're not getting feedback. You're not adapting because, and you're probably just trying to pound, you know, the, the same, you know, square peg through a round hole type of idea. But versus if you just realize like, hey, I talked to this customer and he said, maybe this will work. So then you just move over one and you realize that there's like a perfect fit between a circle and a circle. That was one thing I wanted to touch on. So there was a comment made by Sam Altman where he says in founding a company, you really do have to be brutally honest with yourself and ask, you know, is this project working or am I convincing myself that it's working? So in that context, what are some of the hard questions that you've had to ask yourself and how have you stayed level-headed, especially when iterating and talking to users? Because frankly, like startups are just that hard. Yeah. And, you know, I to that last point, like, <clears throat> I think that's why you see a lot of, um, you know, immigrants and things like that come to North America and create incredible startups. And it's because they have had a more difficult time in their earlier lives that have built that grit and resiliency. Um, and basically that mindset, I think, helps propel people to continue with startups saying, hey, I'm going to make this work and I want to make this work. And I really believe in my idea. Um, and so I think that's, you know, it's kind of a secret superpower in some senses. Um, but to that point about, you know, like, how do you know, basically, to Sam Altman's point? And I think the, the most interesting thing is um, you really have to you know, kind of take that scientific method and basically say, hey, like, this is our, this is our thesis. Um, this is our hypothesis. What are we going to do to test this out? How quickly can we get there to test it out? Because we don't want to, you know, if we spend five years building this out, we're going to run out of money and then we're only going to get one, one at bat. And so the idea is, you know, how do you test this out quickly? And that could be, you know, and I think the idea is like, when people hear like, oh, test this out, there's everyone who hears that sentence probably interprets that in a different way. You could be testing that out from like, a whole idea of like, hey, we're going to test it. Like, you know, does this entire model work? But I think the more granular you get, you can then, you know, kind of break it down into a few steps and say, hey, we're going to test out, you know, this one idea with this one feature. Then we're going to test out this feature. Then we're going to test out this feature. And each one you're gathering data points. And so 
you know, what makes it really, I think the kind of the, the orchestration of a startup really is like making sure that you and your co-founder are in sync where, you know, you're going to be quick on product, quick on design because the engineering work, like you can only, you know, with a really small team, you can only code so fast and like get so many things out the door. And so, um, and even that, you know, there's always ways to cut corners and get it out quicker, but, you know, it being, being intelligent with how you're actually giving up that time is, uh, I think super important. Um, and then, you know, I think talking to users is, is really like, for me, there's been a really big, like uh, learning experience because I've, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of investors before I've talked to, um, you know, my team and I can think, get good at growing a team. But for me, you know, I was never like a professional account executive, for example. And when I, you know, you go into B2B SaaS, for example, you know, and you're taking on that SD, SDR role, um, you know, BDR role, AE role, everything with that founder led sales um, approach, you really have to level up and, you know, get good at, um, you know, scaling yourself with that. And so for me, you know, there's, instead of just, you know, going through a demo and, you know, they're like, oh, that looks good. You know, maybe that feature would be nice. It becomes much more pointed. You know, you're asking more questions like, okay, like how would this work in your team's environment? What are the use cases? Who would be the, uh, you know, who would help with like, uh, you know, budgetary approvals for this and developing these you know, discovery lists is so important for that, you know, sales side founder. And then on the engineering front, coming from big, a, a bigger company where you're probably working in a more uh, isolated silo to the whole company, you're now handling the entire stack. And so, you know, you're handling everything from, you know, security um, deployment cycles, everything like that. And so you have a lot on the go as well. And so it's kind of like, you only have so much time. And so how do you, from an opportunity cost perspective, how do you allocate those resources? Kind of thinking like an investor within your own company, but how are you deploying your own resources? Because you only have so many of them internally to then try and get these, you know, Venn diagrams to overlap between, you know, your ideal customer, your ideal product, your ideal solution that actually pays the bills too. What advice do you have for founders who are trying to build an MVP? Yeah, I would say that having, it's one of the hardest things to do, but I think being extremely disciplined about this will pay dividends. And the idea is just like, you know, having that, um, you know, your ideal customer profile. And when you're building out that MVP, having that person in mind, like, you know, Mark works in accounting and he's a bookkeeper and I'm building this, you know, TurboTax solution for him. Um, Like having that person in mind as like, this is the person who's going to be using it. And then when you're thinking about your go-to-market, thinking about, okay, you know, Ashley is Mark's manager. She's the one who has the budgetary approvals. These are going to be the key value props and, you know, problems that I'm going to be solving for her. Um, And then, you know, from a C-suite perspective, like, hey, I'm going to need to give, uh, you know, uh, Andrew budgetary approval to provide to Ashley so that Mark can use this as an end user. Like knowing those few couple points, um, you know, why, why is he so good at, just bringing that advice into your brain, just saying like, you know, consider these options and just, you know, make sure you're thinking about these things in the right way. And, um, uh, you know, just talking about, you know, the idea of having, you know, multiple buyers in your journey and keeping those in mind as you're building up the product, selling it, et cetera, because it's so easy to think, you know, and sometimes you might have a perfect match. Like sometimes you might be the ideal end customer, you're building it for yourself and there's, you know, a uh, hundred thousand other of you and, you know, they're going to do it, but that's very difficult to do. And you still don't know that while you're building it, you know, that's, that's kind of like a hindsight bias in the sense of like, Oh, well, I was just the perfect person to be building this for. Well, you know, hopeful, but I think it's obviously a great place to start, but the, um, the important thing there is to have someone in mind. And then as you're launching it, 
do when you're talking to customers going through those discovery questions you were just talking about is um you know asking those questions to those customers to your ideal customer and if they're not buying it then you have to kind of go back to the drawing board and say okay well let's test out this vertical and this vertical and there might be some tweaking that makes it good for this vertical um but i think going into it with a blank slate saying hey uh, everyone's gonna love this and you know everyone's gonna be our buyer um, I like this, my brother and I always joke about this one saying, you know, there's all season tires. We like to call them no season tires because they're not actually good at anything. Um, and, you know, whether that's kind of just more, uh, you know, a clever little tale. But um, I think that really applies when you're actually targeting your uh, your customers as well. So in a broader sense, then, how do you manage all these things in the business? For For instance, if you as founders, your hypothesis, your users and even your board are all in different positions of what needs to get done. How do you deal with that? Yeah. You know, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's like you're, you're trying to strip out like, okay, what are obvious non-commonalities and then what are commonalities? Like I, you know, I, I always just revert back to like a lot of Venn diagrams in these situations where like, you know, you bring in three different parties. It's like, okay, what are we overlapping on? And like, okay, let's establish the fundamentals. You know, I think there's, there's probably a little bit of like too much everyone just saying they're thinking from first principles these days. But that, like, at the, at the essence, that is what it is. It's like, um, you know, what what can we agree upon? You know, when we strip out all the parts at the root level, like, what? And the most important thing is your customers. It's like, <laughs> if you're bored saying one thing, it's like completely, um, completely removed from the customer, um, and then completely removed from your entire team. Well, then, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to just say your board doesn't know what you're talking about, but you should you know, take a closer eye and say, okay, what, what lens are they approaching this from? You know, how are they arriving at this conclusion? Why are our customers not arriving at that conclusion? Why am I not arriving at that conclusion? And seeing, you know, where do these different lenses point to? And then depending on, you know, you're going to find some learnings all the time. I think, I think the, the, the question you asked, I think the, it, it becomes like a generalized question in a sense where it's like, you know, how, what happens if like all three of these parties don't, you know, aren't agreeing, but at the, you know, most things in life, like you could generalize like that, but when you start digging deeper into the problem, you're going to find subtle nuances and say, oh, well, this person arrived at this conclusion because they saw this one stat, but in reality, this is actually a better stat to be, you know, this is what we're actually trying to achieve. And so I think, um, you know, just getting the more information, uh, the better, and then basically distilling that down back to that, you know, scientific method of basically, you know, these are our, uh, these are our theses, you know, this is where we're trying to go. We talked to our customers, we did customer interviews. This is our current sales cycle. Um, and I think one of the hardest things to do is like, once you have the product built and you're reaching out to customers and say you're targeting one, you know, particular niche or vertical and your board say, hey, well, you know, I think there actually is a better, better um, customer over here in this area. Well, you're going to have to do some testing then and say, okay, well, you know, maybe they because maybe they are right. And maybe your go to market is going to be way easier because you've tackle that way. But I think the most important thing is like, have an open mind, um, want to learn, want to get better. And your board, you know, your board's obviously invested in your company. They're not doing it to sabotage you. Um, you know, sometimes people say, you know, boards get in the way, which, you know, can obviously that can be completely true. Um, and, you know, you just leave the team to execute. Um, however, you know, usually there's a lot of smart people at the table too, if, if you've picked your board correctly. And that's probably the, uh, the root cause of it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The last question I had for you was about your experience at Y Combinator. So how was it and what was the biggest takeaway? Yeah, you know, I think, um, 
yeah, you know, I think there's a lot to unpack in that question, but I think what, like what YC does extremely well um, is I, I think um, there was actually an article recently written about, you know, YC is kind of like CRISPR for startups, like, uh, you know, like DNA sequencing and genome editing. Um, but I think that's like a, a really good way to think about it. Like, they, you know, YC can obviously explain what they do better than uh, me, but I think going through the entire process, they, they really help you get the best version out of both your startup and yourselves. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of focus on, um, you know, the founders as well as your idea. Um, how do you guys work together? Uh, you know, asking questions that make you think about, you know, why are you spending time here? Why are you dedicating resources here? And I think that at the end of the day is, you know, extremely empowering uh, because you're also surrounded, you know, and we are in a, you know, I think each batch, you know, is progressively getting a little bit larger, but you're in, and, you know, I think also it's amazing because remote work has actually allowed that, you know, global access to talent. Um, and so given that pool expands, you know, you would expect that the number of great startups uh, being created expands too. And so that, you know, that's an amazing thing for just civilization and the, you know, uh, human species. Um, but I think you're, you're around like-minded people who are all doing challenging things in variety of different industries. And you can, you know, you start creating this entire huge brain trust of different experiences. You know, that, that can only help you propel further. It's kind of like the idea of like reading a biography is so you don't have to go make all of the mistakes, you know, firsthand for yourself. And you can hopefully learn a few before you actually step into those, uh, you know, a creek that turns out to be 50 feet deep. Um, and so I think YC does an amazing job at helping you navigate the land. Um, and it also just serves as like an incredible three month, you know, time crunch period where you're working on absolutely nothing but your startup. And, you know, most people are still, you know, after or before YC, you're still doing that. Um, but I think it really gives this structure to just, you know, working super hard. You know, they, they call it, you know, super leverage time, which I completely agree with. Um, and it just really helps you get the most out of, you know, yourselves. That's it. Thanks for listening. And be sure to follow us on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter at Homeroom Podcast.